Welcome to the Recent Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches, featuring inspiring new devotionals and forums given each week on BYU campus. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. After previously rejecting my father's marriage proposal twice, my mother, during a BYU devotional 65 years ago this summer, turned to my father and whispered, yes. It was all my dad could do to not stand up and shout for joy, but with President Joseph Fielding Smith as the speaker, he quietly stayed seated. If anyone here has anything important to say to the person sitting next to you, consider this your invitation. <laughs> Needless to say, I'm grateful for BYU devotionals. A few months ago, a few months after their engagement, my parents eloped to the Salt Lake City Temple. On their way home, my mom went to her apartment, packed up her things, and announced that she was going to sleep with Al that night. Concerned and rightfully so, her roommates called the bishop, only to be told it's about time they've been married for hours. <laughs> my parents continued their education here at BYU, and within their first year of marriage, my mom gave birth to a daughter. Some may remember a story of President Spencer W. Kimball helping a stranded pregnant woman in the airport who was pushing along her young toddler. President Kimball comforted the woman whom he had never met and knew nothing about, gave the little girl a piece of gum, and got the young, pregnant, exhausted mother and wet and hungry two-year-old daughter on the next flight out of the Chicago O'Hare airport. That pregnant pr young woman was my mother. Following this experience with President Kimball, my parents were blessed to have 10 more naturally born children, adopted another, and raised my dad's nephew, now my brother. Their ability to rear 13 children was clearly a miracle. I'm the 12th of these 13 children. My parents were true leaders. Like my mom, I too attended BYU. Unlike my mom, at the age of 21, I set my mission papers in. I made it clear to my father, who was, speaking as my, who was serving as my stake president, that the only place in the world I did not want to serve was the Los Angeles Temple Spanish-speaking Visitor Center mission. <laughs> Let's just say that the tears I shed when I opened my call were not tears of joy. <laughs> During my mission, the Lord proved Himself over and over again that His ways truly were higher than mine. I loved my mission. Trying to determine my path in life as I walked to the Joseph Smith building to attend my religion class, the inscription on the outside wall, teach ye diligently and my grace shall attend thee, stopped me cold in my tracks. Somehow I knew that I was to be a religion teacher. Although I felt extremely inadequate, God promised me His grace if I would teach diligently. Upon graduating from BYU, I accepted a job teaching seminary and began graduate studies in education. All along, I dated, wanting to marry and start a family. I admit at times as I watched all 12 of my siblings, and yes, even some of their children, as well as all my roommates, friends, etc., marry and have children of their own, loneliness did set in at times. I wondered if His will and my will would ever align. Upon completing my PhD, I accepted a full-time job as an assistant professor of religion at BYU. A few months after my mother's death, and days after a broken engagement, I was invited to, be, to temporarily leave BYU to be the director of institutes and the seminary quarter in Boston for the church educational system. It seemed that the timing couldn't be worse. Strangely, I had always wanted to live in Boston. In fact, I always knew I would, but not under these circumstances. 
Striving to align my will with his, I packed up my house, left BYU, said goodbye to my dad, family, friends, and drove across the country. A year later, I returned from Boston, having fulfilled my assignment for CES. In addition, I served as a chaplain at both Harvard and MIT, completed postdoctoral work at Harvard in higher education administration, met incredible people, many of whom have become dear friends, and most importantly, the night before I left, I received a live ceiling recommend. My husband and I were married shortly after. Three years later, and exactly three years from yesterday, we adopted our two beautiful daughters. One month later, we were sealed sorry, as a family in the Mount Tibanogos Temple. I wrote in my journal, his ways truly are higher than mine. Why do I tell you such personal stories? I want to be both authentic and intentional with you. I want you to see how individuals can uniquely walk the covenant path and be leaders in God's kingdom. President M. Russell Ballard taught, many women, who are single for long, many women are single for long periods of time in their lives. Some women are married, others become single when a spouse dies or when they divorce. And some women never marry. One sister may be inspired to continue her education and attend medical school. For another sister, inspiration may lead her to forego a scholarship and instead begin a family. Is it possible for two similarly faithful women to receive such different responses to the same basic question? Elder Ballard continues, absolutely. What's right for one woman may not be right for another. Speaking to the women of the church, President Nelson pled, we, your brethren, need your strength, your conversion, your conviction, your ability to lead, your wisdom and your voices. The kingdom of God is not and cannot be complete without women who make sacred covenants and keep them, women who can speak with the power and authority of God. He continued, we need women who are devoted to shepherding God's children along the covenant path towards exaltation. Women who know how to receive personal revelation, who understand the power and peace of the temple endowment, women who know how to call upon the powers of heaven to protect and strengthen children and families, women who teach fearlessly. We need you to lead. Recently, I had the opportunity to study and tour the life and places of one of the greatest heroines in history, Joan of Arc. This video clip shows her remarkable courage and faith as an inspired leader. I heard a voice calling my name. After I had thrice heard this voice, I was very much afraid. He told me of the pitiful state of the Kingdom of France and that I was to come to the aid of the King. He told me that I must be a good child and that God would help me. also told me that St. Catherine and St. Margaret would come to me, and that I should act by their advice, that they would lead me in what I had to do, and that I should believe what they would say. I was intrigued and humbled as I reflected on her declaration of hearing divine voices, always accompanied by light, and her willingness and determination to obey and lead at whatever cost. At the age of 17, as an illiterate peasant girl, Joan of Arc left her family and the simple comforts of her home to liberate her country and place Charles VII on the throne. 
I was intrigued to realize that not only did she gain the trust of Charles VII, but also the trust of over 12,000 troops placed under her command. At one point, determined to keep the Sabbath day holy prior to entering into battle, she required all her troops to partake of the Holy Sacrament. Many believe her public demonstration of faith in God won her that battle. Virtuous by choice and trusting in the Lord, Joan of Arc would not only liberate the city of Orleans, but defeat the English in four, four other battles. Bishop Gerald Causey explained, she was surrounded by men who were rough and sometimes disrespectful towards women, but she was committed to stay faithful and worthy because there was a condition for her to receive the guidance she needed from God. Captured eventually in the Battle of Paris, Joan was held as a prisoner, not for treason, but for heresy. What was her crime? She believed and taught that she received a revelation as a woman from God. As I stood by her stone prison, I wondered at, at her determination and faith. Listen to some of the words she spoke in her own defense as a 19-year-old illiterate girl in the prison in 1431, as translated from official court records. She said, I place trust in God, my creator, in all things. I love him with all my heart. Everything I have said or done is in the hands of God. I commit myself to him. I must go and I must do this thing because my Lord will have it so. It is better to be alone with God. Joan would eventually be sentenced to death and burned at the stake. One life is all we have, Joan of Arc was recorded to say. We live it as we believe in living it, and then it's gone. But to surrender what you are and live without belief, that's more terrible than dying, more terrible than dying young. Indeed, one life really is all that we have, President Nelson, speaking to young adults, recently stated, this is a singular time in your life. There won't be another quite like it. You are establishing priorities and patterns that will dramatically affect not just your mortal life, but also your eternal life. Joan of Arc's life was vastly different than mine and vastly different than my mother's. Yet each of our lives have similar patterns based on true principles. Each of us paid the price to hear and act upon the voice of the Lord. Each of us exercised the courage necessary and put forth the required effort to be endowed with His power. Each of us gained by God's power by, keeping, by making and keeping sacred covenants. The will of the Lord, each of us made promises with the Lord and in return were endowed with the power necessary to uniquely lead. Unlike Joan of Arc and my mother, however, my mortal life, as well as yours, still has time and purpose. I pray that the Spirit will be your true mentor and teacher today as we discuss principles of leading with God's endowed power together. Principle number one, you are a child of God, born to lead. President Nelson reminded each of us of our three most important identifiers, child of God, child of the covenant, and disciple of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it, he said, your potential is divine. With your diligent seeking, God will give you glimpses of who you may become. Let's also remember that regardless of gender, the gathering of Israel on both sides of the veil is the most important cause on earth today, and that you have an essential role in this gathering. I testify that just as God knew Joan of Arc, my mother, and even me, He knows you, and He has a purpose for you. 
Whether you were born to lead with the vision of glorious mother Eve, with the patience of Abraham and Sarah to be the parents of the entire covenant Israel, with the courage to save an entire covenant people like Esther, with perfect understanding necessary to win mortal battles like Moroni, the exact obedience of the sons of Helaman or the loyalty and faith of their mothers, or a combination of all of these qualities and many more, you were born during this last hour of this last dispensation to lead. Like the young prophet Joseph Smith, whom God called by name, you too are known and you have a unique leadership role in the gathering of Israel and in bringing forth the Savior's second coming. President Joseph F. Smith taught, it is not for women to, le to be led by the women of the world, it is for you to lead the women of the world in everything that is purifying to the children of men. Just as every piece of stained glass is critical to the whole picture, every individual child of God, you are critical to His work and His glory. He needs you, we need you, and we need you to lead. How has God shown you that He knows you? What is your unique role in this gathering? Principle two, learning to hear Him is necessary to fulfill your unique errand. Like Joan of Arc, we must learn to hear him. In helping us learn to receive personal revelation, President Russell M. Nelson instructed us to follow the example of the young prophet and leader, Joseph Smith. He instructed, find a quiet place where you can go regularly. Humble yourself before God. Pour out your heart to your heavenly Father. Turn to him for answers and for comfort. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ about your concerns, your fears, your weaknesses, yes, the very longing of your heart, and then listen. Write the thoughts that come to your mind. Record your feelings and follow through with actions that you are prompted to take. As you repeat this process, day after day, month after month, year after year, you will grow into the principle of revelation. As I listened to former BYU President Kevin J. Worthen's invitation given at the BYU devotional in January of 2023 to diligently study and apply the prophetic promises that the Lord has provided through President Nelson, I felt guided not only to accept it for me, but for my students as well. With the patience of my students, I implemented a new experiential project which required them to study every single talk given by President Nelson since he has become the prophet prayerfully looking for invitations and promised blessings, and then choose one invitation to apply throughout the rest of the semester and report on their experience in a one-on-one -on -one interview with me. It seemed as if my office turned into a temple in terms of sacredness at the end of the semester as students individually, one by one, shared experiences and miracles and testified of living prophets and God's fulfillment of prophetic promises. I will share just one experience with you. One student wrote, The invitation I decided to focus on was to better hear the voice of the Lord. His blessing was that as we learn to hear Him, He will reveal truth to us and we will be guided by the Holy Spirit. I chose this promise, the student continued, because sometimes I feel like we are living amidst so many distractions and things that numb our senses to the Spirit, like phones, sports, TV, hobbies, and outdoor activities. I wanted to make time to focus on the Savior and I wanted to learn from him his will for me. What did the student do? Each week to aid my scripture study, the student continued, I attended the temple. 
I attempted to converse with the Lord in the temple and to specifically focus on hearing His word for me. I pondered nightly on what I was learning and supplicated the Lord through His prayer for assistance in my endeavors. During the sacrament each week, I reflected on how I was doing. I also made it a point to do my best to have companionship study daily and to bear my testimony of what I was learning. Lastly, I tried to daily repent to make myself worthy to feel the Spirit and to hear His voice. What was the result for this student? He continues, I learned most of all that I was very capable of hearing the voice of the Lord when I put forth the effort to do so. Even though I was not perfect at doing this plan, he continued, I came to notice that the Lord values every little effort that we make to hear Him and come closer to Him. I feel like I am getting closer to the Lord and better at hearing His voice, and that I am fortified against temptations and more, su and more susceptible to the Spirit. I challenge you to continue that invitation from President Worthen. President Elaine Dalton declared, In the world in which we live, your ability to lead will require guidance and constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, who will tell you all things what you should do, as you recognize and rely on His guidance and promptings. I can report that every single student who followed through with the prophetic invitation received the associated promise blessing. I promise that as we follow His divine pattern, we will grow into the principle of revelation and learn to hear Him as He leads us and as, we, and as He would have us lead. What are you doing to hear Him? How is He guiding you to lead today? Principle number three. Leading requires courage, effort, and power from Jesus Christ. Is it hard to be a prophet, young Pearl asked during an interview with Primary, President General, Primary General President Joy Jones and President Nelson? Of course it's hard, President Nelson replied. Everything to do with becoming more like the Savior is difficult. Let's be frank. Learning to hear His voice, staying on the covenant path, helping in the gathering of the House of Israel, leading, these are not assignments for the weak at heart. There is a reason President Nelson encouraged us to eat your vitamin pills and get some rest. John the Beloved bore record that he beheld Christ's glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, even the spirit of truth which came and dwelt in the flesh and dwelt among us. He continued, I, John, saw that he received not of the fullness of the first, but received grace for grace. And I, John, bear record that he received a fullness of the glory of the Father, and he received all power both in heaven and on earth. And the glory of the Father was with him, for he dwelt in him. Brothers and sisters, the atonement of Jesus Christ was not easy. Christ's power is critical to leading God's children. Christ then declared, I give unto you these sayings that you may understand and know how to worship and know what to worship that you may come unto the Father in my name and in due time receive of His fullness. For if you keep my commandments, you shall receive of His fullness and be glorified in me as I am in the Father. Therefore I say unto you, you shall receive grace for grace. Christ's power is available to all of us. Accessing His power takes effort. President Nelson instructed, Our focus must be riveted on the Savior and His gospel. It is mentally rigorous to strive to look unto Him in every thought. He then continued, 
When you reach up for the Lord's power in your life with the same intensity that a drowning person has when grasping and gasping for air, power from Jesus Christ will be yours. Our eyes are riveted on the Savior when we study about Him, His doctrine, His teachings. We serve like Him and we live according to those teachings. We commit to becoming like Him, eventually abiding in Him and Him in us. We align ourselves with His prophets, staying right on the heels, not slightly ahead or too far behind. To help you be aligned completely with the will of the Lord and the teachings of the living prophets, in addition to general conference talks, devotionals, and firesides, I strongly recommend a careful study and application of the family, a proclamation to the world, the living Christ, and the restoration proclamation. These documents are inspired and written by the united voice of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. I testify that both clarity and power will come into your life as you courageously put forth the effort to live by their doctrines and principles. Sister Sharon L. Larson stated, If we are going to lead in righteousness, there can't be any question where we stand. Educating our desires so our standards are the Lord's standards sends a clear message that in the Lord's kingdom there are no double standards. We have made covenants with the Lord, and leading often tests the level of commitment to those covenants. When I think of eyes riveted on the Savior, I think of Joan of Arc's final hours. Previous to her death, she requested that a priest shout prayers loud enough to be heard over the roar of the flames and hold a cross high above her head to keep her mind focused on the Savior as she focused on the cross. Joan of Arc consecrated her life to God. How are you keeping your eyes riveted on the Savior? Where do you stand? Principle four, God's power is gained through keeping covenants. Sister Sherry Dew declared, if God wants a powerful people who can withstand the wiles of the devil, and he does, and if we were born to lead these latter days, and we were, then we need to understand how God makes his power available to us and how we gain access to that power. Every woman and every man who makes covenants with God and keeps those covenants and who participates worthily in priesthood ordinances has direct access to God's power, President Nelson declared. Those who are endowed in the house of the Lord received a gift of God's priesthood power by virtue of their covenant, along with the gift gift of knowledge to know how to draw upon that power. What is this power? It is priesthood power. Recently, President Nelson entreated all women of the Church to study prayerfully all the truth they can find about priesthood power. One year later, President Nelson renewed his invitation for you to increase your understanding of priesthood power and of temple covenants and blessings. Every covenant-keeping member receives the key of knowledge in the temple. With this key of knowledge and personal revelation, I promise With effort on your part, God will teach you more about His priesthood power, His temple covenants, and how to lead with this power today. The 2023 Church Handbook declares, the priesthood is the authority and power of God. It has always existed, it will continue to exist without end. Through the priesthood, Heavenly Father accomplishes His work to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. God grants authority and power to His sons and daughters on earth to help carry out His work. Whose power? It's God's power. 
power to do what? All the power necessary for you to lead out in saving souls. What are some of these powers? The power of enlightenment, of testimony, and of understanding. The power to thwart the forces of evil. The power which enables us to use our gifts and capabilities with greater intelligence and increased effectiveness. The power to overcome the sins of the world and to stand in holy places. Greater powers that might be qualified, that might, that might make you better qualified to teach. Power with which to strengthen earthly families. The promised revelation that may bless our lives with power, knowledge, light, beauty, and truth from on high. Powers of heaven to protect and strengthen children and families. Power to love and be filled with his love. Power to lead. These are powerful promises available to every covenant-keeping member of this church. They're your promises. In preparation for this devotional talk, I found myself continually attending the temple. During the last couple of weeks, I have participated in every ordinance available in the temple, some multiple times. I was reminded while listening to the confirmation ordinance that receiving the Holy Ghost requires action on the part of the receiver. While participating in the ordinance of baptism, the Spirit pressed upon me the truth that in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. Please remember that the ordinance of baptism and confirmation are critical to the gathering of Israel and eternal life for our Heavenly Father's children. Thank you for serving in the temple. Thank you for leading out in this cause. Just as effort is necessary to receive the Holy Ghost, effort is also necessary to receive priesthood power. In the oath and covenant of the priesthood, both men and women also must receive God's priesthood, His servants, Christ, the Father, and the Father's kingdom, in order to obtain that all that my Father hath shall be given unto you. Only through our keeping covenants made in the temple do we obtain the blessings of receiving a fullness. Elder Del G. Renland explained, by making and keeping temple covenants, we learn more about the Lord's purposes and receive a fullness of the Holy Ghost. We receive direction for our lives. We mature in our discipleship so that we do not remain perpetual, unknowing children. Rather, we live with an eternal perspective and are more motivated to serve God and others. In the endowment ceremony, we covenant to obey five laws. The law of obedience, the law of sacrifice, the law of the gospel, the law of chastity, and the law of consecration. Keeping each of these laws is critical to becoming leaders endowed with His power. We'll briefly discuss just two of these laws, the law of obedience and the law of sacrifice. So first, the law of obedience. President Dallin H. Oaks taught, God's love is so perfect that He lovingly requires us to obey His commandments because He knows that only through obedience to His laws can we become perfect as He is. God's love required perfect obedience to law and the fulfillment of eternal suffering on the part of His only begotten Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What kind of loving God would demand this kind of obedience and allow this kind of sacrifice? Our God, the God of love. God's love includes by His nature His law, which includes an element of sacrifice. Just a few months ago, my seven-year-old daughter asked, Mom, if you didn't love me so much, would you let me eat all the candy in the world? She gets it. She intuitively recognized that my rule or law regarding candy consumption was not, as President Oaks declared, a contradiction of my love, but it was an evidence of my love. Trying to change God's love 
and or laws to satisfy mortal desires will simply not result in us receiving His life, eternal life. As a reminder, God prizes agencies so much that He allows us to enjoy that which we are willing to receive. If we do not receive eternal life, it is because we were not willing to enjoy that which we might have received. We receive according to what we choose to obey. What are the two great commandments we have been asked to obey? First, to love God. Second, to love our neighbor, in that order. Elder Christofferson instructed here at BYU, putting the first commandment first does not diminish or limit our ability to keep the second commandment. To the contrary, it amplifies and strengthens it. It means that we enhance our love by anchoring it in divine purpose and power. It means that we have the Holy Ghost to, to inspire us in ways to reach out that we would never have seen on our own. Our love of God elevates our ability to love others more fully and perfectly because, in essence, we partner with God in the care of His children. Why does understanding God's love matter so much? In part because in your leadership role in the gathering of Israel and saving souls, you not only love as God loves, but your responsibility is to help others understand God's love. Not firmly grounded in the teachings of the doctrine of Jesus Christ, some desire a false love that allows for promiscuity or cheap grace. And so offering, as leaders, you are not leading, but complying offering false hope in exchange for eternal life. Elder Holland taught, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. To make certain they understood exactly what kind of love that was, he said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And whosoever shall break one of the least commandments and, and shall teach men so, he shall be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Christ-like love is the greatest need we have on this planet, in part because righteousness was always supposed to accompany it. Elder Holland later clarified, as near as I can tell, Christ never once withheld His love from anyone. But He also never once said to anyone, because I love you, you are exempt from keeping my commandments. We are tasked with trying to strike that same sensitive, demanding balance in our lives. Do we truly understand, as my seven-year-old daughter does, that while in the moment our cravings may not be satisfied, this may be proof of His love? As His laws are meant to help us become like Him, that by keeping His commandments we ultimately receive a fullness of freedom and joy? Just as Christ's capacity to love is directly tied to His obedience, so is ours. Love and obedience are critical qualities of Christ-like leaders. God loves infinitely because His capacity and power is infinite. Christ has a fullness of power, including a fullness of love, in part because His choice to drink the bitter cup, clearly demonstrating that even He was willing to do the will of the Father over His own. In our lives, I promise there is no cup more bitter than His love can overcome. The Law of Sacrifice Joseph Smith taught, let us here observe that a religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life and salvation. Perhaps one of the greatest demonstrations of keeping the law of sacrifice is deny yourself of all ungodliness, which is to offer a sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, even that of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. It is not easy to put off the natural man. 
A while ago, I wrongly chided a pre-med student in one of my classes for his use of a flip phone. I have a problem with pornography, he publicly explained. Although smartphones can be useful, I'd rather have the companionship of the Holy Ghost and the power of the Savior. I was humbled by his response. I knew what it meant for him to deny yourself of all ungodliness. Interesting, although Joan of Arc may not have made covenants in the temple as we do today, she did, as far as it is known, keep all of God's associated laws. Perhaps due in part to the law of compensation, she was able to lead endowed with his power. How have you received God's power through keeping your covenants? Principle five. Endowed with his power, we lead as joint heirs and we lead as joint heirs with and perfected in Christ. The purpose of priesthood power, Christ's power, is to save souls. We are not simply making and keeping covenants, but we are making and keeping even binding covenant relationships. Listen to this instruction regarding covenant relationships from President Nelson. Once we make a covenant with God, we leave neutral ground forever. God will not abandon his relationships with those who have forged such a bond with him. In fact, all those who have made a covenant with God have access to a special kind of love and mercy. In the Hebrew language, that covenantal love is called hesed. President Nelson continues, hesed has no adequate English equivalent. Translators of the King James Version of the Bible must have struggled with how to render hesed in English. They often chose loving kindness. This captures much, but not all of the meaning of hesed. Other translations were rendered, such as mercy and goodness. Hesed is a unique term describing a covenant relationship in which both parties are bound to be loyal and faithful to each other. Now listen carefully to President Nelson's understanding of Hesed. Hesed is a special kind of love and mercy that God feels for and extends to those who have made a covenant with Him. And we reciprocate with Hesed for Him. Once you and I have made a covenant with God, our relationship with Him becomes much closer than before our covenant. Now we are bound together. Because of our covenant with God, He will never tire in His efforts to help us, and we will never exhaust His merciful patience with us. Each of us has a special place in God's heart. He has high hopes for us. There is a difference in relationship with God between those who make and keep sacred covenants with Him and those who do not. Of course, God loves all of His children, but those who make and keep sacred covenants with Him experience hesed, a covenantal love. Yoking yourself with the Savior means you have access to and his, to his strength and redeeming power, President Nelson instructed. His hopes are high for us. Because as we are yoked to the Savior, our power and potential is limitless. Elder Del G. Randland explained, as you come to Christ and are connected to Him and our Heavenly Father by covenant, something seemingly unnatural happens. You are transformed and become perfected in Jesus Christ. You become a covenant child of God and an inheritor in His kingdom. We become those who are just men made perfect through, the, through Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant who wrought out this perfect atonement through, shedding, through the shedding of his own blood. We shall be filled with his love, see as he sees, become pure as he is pure, until we are like him, able to lead as he leads. Thus he makes us joint heirs with him, equal in power, in might, and dominion. Although leading sometimes is a lonely position, endowed with his power, you are never alone. God has promised that he will go before your face, that he will be on your right hand and on your left, that his spirit shall be in your hearts and his angels round about you to bear you up. Imagine the peace, hope, and joy this knowledge gave to the early pioneers who, as they left Nauvoo, looked back at their burning temple with the fire of the covenant burning in their hearts. 
you too can have this confidence. As we continue along the covenant path, entering into and keeping the new and everlasting covenant of marriage according to God's law, we become one with those who shall be God's, because they, referring to the couple, have no end. Therefore they shall be from everlasting to everlasting, because they continue. Then shall they be above all, because all things are subject unto them. Then shall they be God's, because they have all power. We will be leaders in the greatest role, parents. Like Joan of Arc, Joseph Smith, even Adam, Sarah, and Abraham, Esther, Moroni, the army of Helaman, and their mothers, you are endowed with power to lead out in saving souls for eternity. While we are not yet perfect in Christ, as Sister Patricia Holland said, we must have the courage to be imperfect while striving for perfection. How is Christ perfecting you? How are you leading out in love? With all of this endowment of power as you lead in His cause, may I offer just a few words of counsel. First, be aware of Satan's tactics of teaching the philosophies of men mingled with Scripture. Applying Lehi's dream to our day, President Packer, speaking at a BYU devotional, reminded us that instead of looking over into that spacious building, we are, in effect, living inside of it. Living in the world but not of the world has become more complex and confusing. Satan is the great deceiver and mimicker. He packages truth in the most deceptive ways, often hoping you will not catch the subtle yet often pleasing lie tucked among the more demanding and constant truths. Regardless of how many loud, soft, pleasing, comforting, intellectual, or intentionally silent these voices are, if they are not 100% grounded and aligned with the doctrine of Jesus Christ and the teachings of His living prophets, they are not of God and will not produce the power necessary for you to lead His cause. In a day when social media and the philosophy of men mingled with scriptures are so prevalent, we must be courageous in both discerning and declaring truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. As a leader, you must discern and lead in truth. Second, be aware of any decoupling of God's prophets from God. I'd like to share with you a leadership principle I've come to call the parable of the crosswalk. As I approached an elementary school on a walk one morning, I watched as three children approach the crosswalk. As they got closer, a car drew near and the driver, noticing the children, stopped and let the children cross. The two boys ran quickly across the street, but the younger girl was much slower. As she tried to speed up, she went off balance and fell off her scooter. During this time, a driver pulled up behind the car in front and, seeing the boys run off, started honking the horn obnoxiously at the driver in front of him. With no motion from the first driver, the driver behind rolled down his window and began yelling at the car to go. The driver in front gave the driver behind no heed, but instead waited for the young girl to get back on her scooter and scoot across the street. By this time, I had watched closely. I'd, I'd walked closely enough to, to see both drivers and their expressions. The expression of the second driver's face as he realized his mistake and could have killed this girl was unforgettable. At that moment, a simple phrase came to my mind. Your perspective changes depending on where you are sitting. Did the driver in front perform perfectly in that moment? Perhaps not. But in doing what he did, he saved the life of this girl. True prophets are fallible, but they are holy. Please be very careful to ever say anything critical of one who has literally given his life to God in your service. Please be aware of anyone striving to decouple God from His prophets for any reason. I believe there are few things that draw the Spirit of God away from His children faster than mocking or criticizing God's prophets. 
Please also remember that your perspective as a leader will change too, depending on your seat. Third, be aware that when we break covenants with God, we are in Satan's power. Christ wants to share his power. Satan wants to take it away. When we intentionally break our covenants with God, we no longer have his power. No one should fight Satan alone. Fourth, be aware of pride. At the university level, we must be aware of pride. I believe one of the strongest antidotes of pride and one of the greatest qualities of a leader is the attribute of meekness. Elder Bednar testified, meekness is not weak, timid, or passive. Meekness is the quality of being God-fearing, righteous, teachable, patient in suffering, and willing to follow gospel teachings. A meek person is not easily provoked or irritated, pretentious, arrogant, or overbearing. Whereas humility generally denotes acknowledging dependence upon God and receptivity to counsel and correction, a distinguishing characteristic of meekness is a particular willingness to learn both from the Holy Ghost and from other people who may seem less experienced or capable, may not hold prominent positions, or otherwise may not appear to have much to contribute. In God's revelation to the elect Emma Smith, God's voice unto all, he counseled her to act in the spirit of meekness. In the Revelation on the Priesthood, section 84, God taught both women and men endowed with his power to edify in all meekness. The Lord taught his endowed children in section 121, no power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood only by persuasion, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, and love unfeigned. Meekness, therefore, is a critical quality for leaders endowed with his power. In my effort to use mortals as mentors for leadership on our covenant path, let us not forget that Jesus Christ was their true leader. The prophet Joseph Smith's final words as he charged the windows in Carthage jail to die a martyr's death were, O Lord my God. As Joan of Arc was unjustly swallowed up in the flames of the unquenchable fire, Jesus, Jesus fell lastly from her lips. It is Christ our Savior who perfectly walked the covenant path and gained all power and with power and our agency, he selflessly transforms us to become like him, if that is our desire. As he died on the cross to save us all, Christ's final expression of his covenant relationship both with his Father and with us were, Father, it is finished, thy will is done. Turning to his disciples as a resurrected Savior, he declared, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. It is his power gained in the fullness through his Christ-like life of leadership and sacrifice that you are endowed. Endowed with his power, you are ready to lead in his cause. Although I cannot have a personal interview with all of you, I'd still like you to reflect on a few questions that I previously, previously asked. I'd love to receive your answers to the following questions through social media platforms by using the hashtag BYUDevo and tagging me at Dr. Barbara Morgan Gardner. I look forward to another sacred experience as we review your answers through video or written testimony. The questions. How has God shown you that he knows you? What is your unique role in this gathering? What are you doing to hear him? How is he guiding you to lead? How are you keeping your eyes riveted on the Savior? Where do you stand? How have you received God's power through keeping covenants? How is Christ perfecting you? How are you leading out in love? What have you heard from the Spirit today? that was not said vocally. In conclusion, I echo parts of the dedicatory prayer Joseph Smith offered in the Kirtland Temple. This is my prayer for you. We ask thee, Holy Father, that thy servants may go forth from this house armed with thy power, and that thy name may be upon them and thy glory round about them, and thine angels have charge over them, and that they may grow up in thee and receive a fullness of the Holy Ghost and be organized according to thy laws 
and be prepared to obtain every needful thing enthroned with glory, honor, power, majesty, might, dominion, truth, justice, judgment, mercy, and an infinity of fullness from everlasting to everlasting. Help thy servants to say, with thy grace assisting them, thy will be done, O Lord, and not ours. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Recent Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including classic speeches taken from our vast audio library, as well as other BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.